Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to The Drop. Today, we have the editorial team from Grace in Frankie. We have Mark Bourgeois, we have Nick Mujis, and we have Diana Fishman. Thank you so much for coming on today. I'm so appreciative. And spoiler alert, because I'm going to dive into it right away. We might circle back around a few times, but we got Dolly Parton closing out this show. Yes! Yeah. <laughs> that made me so incredibly happy, as I'm sure it did every Dolly Parton fan in the world and every 9 to 5 fan. So um, just kind of diving in, I wanted to ask you guys, mostly because obviously this is a heavier season. You know, the realities of age have always been in Grace and Frankie, but, you know, especially here, we start introducing real ailments and real impacts on the family. How much did you guys know coming in? And also how much did you get to work together? Because all episodes dropped at the same time in the first half of the season and then the second half of the season, right? Right. Well, I mean, I'll say like going in, uh, having been there seasons five and six, I was, I had a little bit of an idea what, what the, I, you know, what the intent for season seven was going to be. There were no specifics addressed uh, in regards to say what's going to happen with, with Robert and Saul, or even the predictions that, that um, Frankie is, is ultimately dealing with towards the end of the second half of season seven. Uh, you know, we don't get those specifics. You, I, I don't ask. I like to be, I like to sort of take the ride as I get the scripts uh, and and I'll read each one of the scripts, but but, you know, sort of like to be surprised along with it going into going into the second half of season seven. Of course, you remember we we paused the infamous March 13th, 2020, right when producers sort of met us in the hallway and said two weeks, two weeks, we'll be back in two weeks. Everybody just go home and be healthy. And a year and a half later, or, or something like that, you know what I mean? We we come back to this thing, and and that's sort of where Nick and Diana joined the group. Well, so tell me about absolute Hollywood legend Marta Kaufman. There, like, how long did you guys each get to work on an episode? Did you guys get an editor's cut first, and then did you get time to work with a director before it went into producer notes? What was the experience for you? Sure. We, we pretty much kept up with the shooting and then had a couple days, I guess, after they would wrap shooting for the episode to put together the editing assembly. And then we'd have two days, I guess, with the director. Um, and then the producers were more spread out. It kind of depended on their timing because they were also they were on set most of the time and they were really active in the filming. So it was kind of whenever they could. And they gave a lot of notes over picks and that was a good system too because you could really just import the notes directly into Avid and um, work on notes and kind of have a dialogue with them before you were in the room with them. So, so each episode kind of varied based on that? I would say so. I don't know, was there a, mine did I feel like, but that was because there were different things that came up and uh, with yeah, mine mine sat in producers for a little while for one or two of them. It's like I felt like I would say like maybe twelve days or something like that. Like was what we were getting between the days that we were getting dailies, and then we would have our. Uh, I I feel like twelve to fifteen was what it was about. It, it we pretty well stuck to the same type of schedule that we we had had when we were in person. 
in terms of that. And Diana had it exactly right. It was, you got two days for your editor's cut. You got two days with the director. Uh, and then, and then we would go on to the producer's cuts and, and because they were so involved with the filming and, you know, even in the earlier episodes, the writer's room and things like that, that you couldn't always get them per se on the days. And, um, Marta directed two episodes. So when I think that that Marta directed Diana's episode uh, and I was in front of Diana's episode and I ended up having to wait for Marta because she was directing and she couldn't come in and, and sit with me on my cut for things. And uh, we didn't stop work. You know what I mean? The notes kept coming or whatnot, but then that, that definitive final couple sessions that, that was always about Marta and, and, and that last group waving their hand over it sometimes did have to wait because of things like shooting and as episodes finished and as we got closer to the end, I feel like we got more of their time more frequently because they didn't, you know, the writer's room closed right. and, and, you know, eventually filming wraps. And so things then start to move a little bit quicker. Well, so tell me a little bit about that and kind of a two-part question because you're working with some real like literal comedy legends with Lily Tomlin and Jane Fonda there, but you know, June Diane Raphael is no slouch here. And you've just got Ethan Embry, like a lot of really huge comedic talents. Like, was there a lot of improv? Did editorial become kind of an extension of the writer's room? How did, how did some of those pieces come together in the edit room for you guys? There's always, they're always allowed to do a little bit of improv. They were always sort of given the freedom to, to riff and make, you know, like you, you pointed out, June, June's always got, you know, five different blows to a scene. And then they were always open to, to the potential of a funnier out. And, and that's on the three of us. The thing that I, I felt was really cool about Grace and Frankie in terms of what the actors were giving us was that a lot of shows you'll work and they'll shoot it until they get it. Like you'll wait until the take where everybody is apparent that it's what it was supposed to be. And then they move on. But Grace and Frankie, for me, it didn't really work like that. It worked like every actor had its, a bunch of different options and they were actually trying different things in takes. And because they were trying different things in takes, you were able to kind of put it together in a way that you could make the comedy really kind of sing off the page. And you were sort of serving the writing that way. But it, it came about from definitely everybody having various styles, especially I would say Jane and Lily, like you would hear different versions of the lines from them almost every time and you were able to kind of move in the direction of making their performances really nuanced and nice because of that. Can I ask you guys about VFX? So again as a post house we're very familiar with how the sausage is made and so there were plenty of scenes where I was like oh man they're definitely not outside and stuff like that but you know and literally every show has beauty fixes anymore but how many kind of drop-ins did you guys have to work with or was it was it not so much because obviously there are practical ones like when they're physically on the beach like with the funeral slash wedding and uh, a lot of instances throughout throughout all of the seasons but how how big a part does VFX play for you guys if it's big at all? The the biggest thing for VFX, I think, was uh, we had some scenes where there was COVID compliance issues and we had actors who were masked up working with actors who weren't masked up. And a lot of times we had to make these elaborate composite shots of people all kind of greeting each other and working together. And I mean, 
that stuff was pretty intense in terms of visual effects land. Um, but it was mostly to get practical stuff done. Like this show was all very, the effects are all very practical on the show, obviously. And like, there were extensions on the house that I was kind of surprised about. And there's always seems to be like a run of car scenes in every Grace and Frankie episode and all that stuff is VFX as well. Um, oh yeah. The whole Mexico trip. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, exactly. Like, like when they're, when they're on, when they're out in Mexico, there were some, there was like a gas station and they had the border for sure. I remember seeing it, but, um, but yeah, the VFX was, uh, I would say that the hardest stuff was the composite shots that I was talking about just now. They, they were pretty difficult. I, I know that I, I handed our VFX person definitely a bag of like, I hope that you can get this done for me. And we got it done and it made me really happy. <laughs> um, well, and especially to uh, Mark for that, the, the final episode with Dolly Parton in it. I mean, heaven, heaven was just a large white room with um, uh, actually the, the light box is uh, that they, is on the stage that they're standing on, that actually has lines and whatnot in it that we had removed. You could see on set, we had to replace the ceiling with heaven, uh, you know, above, it was, a, it was a stage, you know what I mean? Um, that had to all be replaced. The door was a, was a separate effect that, that my assistant was awesome about at temp comping in. And, and you know, the, those, the VFX houses, you know, seven years in, these guys have kind of got us down pretty well. And the, the system went pretty well. I would say I would turn over on average close to 100 shots an episode with blue screens and stuff like that. And they would just get it done. Can I ask you guys about tone? Because it is an old timey show. Like you very much get the, the kind of... Uh, empty nest feel or even the cheers feel or you know these these sitcoms that aren't necessarily made or cut or scored or or the look and feel of them like like we kind of had in the 80s or 90s and so uh establishing that coming into the show how is that kind of discussed Do you guys have you know a lookbook a tone and things of that nature that you kind of acclimated to or helped find well i could say that for the the episodes that i ended up doing there was just a lot of watching old seasons and just trying to get the cadences and the rhythms down of the way that lines were being read and jokes were kind of being told um it generally felt like uh there was so much back history because there were six seasons worth that i i mean i i kind of just stepped in trying to emulate um, what I had seen before and, you know, moves that I thought were cool in the other episodes for sure, in terms of the camera work. Cause the show is, uh, it's really like, kind of like you, Mark said old school, but it was kind of like, uh, it's a very elegant show. You know, there's definitely like, there are like a lot of long takes and there's a lot of, uh, a lot of reaction stuff. And they're, they're not afraid to kind of like go in depth to an emotional moment where like we were talking about the Robert memory stuff, like, I definitely had a few moments in my shows where that kind of took precedence over the comedy. And, um, you know, it was just generally looking at these older moments and looking at these moments, it always felt like an elegant show to me. Like it had like kind of a timeless feel to it because of the actors who were in it, as well as the way that they were shooting it. Did you feel the weight of helping people say goodbye to characters that they've actually been with for seven full seasons? 
I mean, I would say absolutely for, for me, I, I did, you know, and, and, and I sort of clocked it as the season went on, there was, um, you know, again, it's, it's numbers. And for us, it's, it's not that, but I think it was, it was Rebecca Asher's episode. I think it was 14 that I had done. And I spoke to her and I says like, I felt it right there. I felt it shift to, to the end. And, and I would get emotional about it because I, I had years on the show and these characters, right. You love these characters and, and you know, you know, I think probably every one of us would be at, at, I don't know, a family function or with a group of friends or something like that. And they, oh, you work on that show. We love that show. We love, you know, my, I sit with my folks and watch that show or the, the characters. And so certainly, I mean, you felt like this was an important thing. I got to do uh, the, the Frankie funeral, which was kind of like a real fun culmination of a lot of stuff in the show for me. And uh, we actually, oh, we did it a bunch of different ways. We tried it with dissolves to just see if it would be funny to like kind of fade in and out of all these people kind of telling these stories about Frankie, but they're really about Grace and Frankie. And so Frankie ends up getting really upset about it. So we ended up landing on just like doing smash cuts into the eulogy kind of moments. And just, we kind of got to pepper in all these really funny Lily moments. And I think that it, it kind of like was, it made then the way that it ends with her being mad about the the inclusion of grace in it it definitely had like a little bit of an emotional spot to it too so it was a that that scene was a real good kind of capsule of all the stuff that i did for grace and frankie it made me feel really good that was a pretty solid way to end that (laughs) (laughs) all right well thank you all for making the time joining us here on the drop i really appreciate it and uh, I, I hope to congratulate you with a follow-up at some point then. So I'd bravo awesome. and well done. And, and thank right. you for such a wonderful final season. Well, and thank you for having us and for shining a light on this great show. We really appreciate that. Thank yeah, you thank so you. Thank you very much. Absolutely. All, All right. right, guys. It was a crazy ride. Saul and I are in love. Chicken. But I'd rather take a crazy ride with you than a normal ride with anybody else. Grace, who's the doctor here? Nobody. Nobody's the doctor here. You're my best friend. I need you. Never getting a hearing aid. I think I'm better off missing most of what you say. Hello! I'm an 80-year-old woman, and I've earned the right to take my sweet fucking time. That's my girl. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome back to the second half of the Grace and Frankie episode of the four-year consideration season here on The Drop. We are talking to DP's cinematographers, Gail Tattersall and Luke Miller. Thank you both for joining us today. It is hugely appreciated that you're taking the time to talk us through and ease our pain as we say goodbye to some of our favorite characters after the past seven seasons. Well done, so, thanks very much for the invitation, and um, it's a pleasure to be here, and um, happy Tuesday. Yes, hello, happy to be here, Nancy. Um, well, Gail, let me start with you, because you've been there from the very beginning. I wanted to hear from you about tone and early choices that kind of saw their way throughout the entire series. Um, sure, I mean, um, 
you know, Luke has been with me from the very beginning because he started off as our uh, chief lighting technician. Um, he did an interview where he made me an offer I couldn't refuse um, because he's so um, he was so enthusiastic and wonderful, and um, I just knew he was the right person for the job. Um, so. Um, I mean, I think the job came about because I had a working relationship with Martin Kaufman and um, um, Howard Morris, our two um, genius uh, showrunners and writers. Um, and uh, we did a, a series of short films together called um, Call Me Crazy. And uh, we got on really well. So um, um, they invited me to join them on this amazing journey, which um, nobody imagined would span over eight years. And uh, because we kind of were locked down for one year for COVID. And um, so it began. The most difficult thing of all was um, uh, the choice of camera, because it was just at that point in time where Netflix didn't really have very much going. And... Um, they had Orange is the New Black, and it was really the beginning of streaming to a certain extent. And, um, and so um, somebody decided that uh, we should shoot 4K. Um, I think they, the reasoning was future-proofing, whatever that means. And um, so we, um, the very camera that we probably would have used, uh, the Alexa, um, was out of bounds because that was only 3.8K. So then we had a choice of cameras that um, when we did tests were sort of um, not exactly what you would call photographic. Um, I mean, everybody's improved and I have to take my hat off to Red for um, um, developing digital cinema to a certain, I mean, they were the main bush behind the whole thing starting. And um, But um, the cameras I, I felt were sort of um, very uh, poor in those days because the only thing we had to compare them to was film and uh, compared to film it sucked. Um, so for our first two seasons, we um, shot with the Red Dragon. Um, which created images that we had to do an awful lot of work on to actually make them look in any way cinematic. Well, you ended on something there, Gail, which is the, you know, we were, our goal was to get a cinematic look. Uh, you know, our goal was to look as far from a sort of multi-camera sitcom as we could. And so, you know, the first couple of years with that red, those red cameras, we were putting nets on the back of the lenses and the the lighting that we were doing was, you know, our, our aim was to be as natural, uh, you know, feeling as we could. You know, the, like you said, we have sets, and we had locations, we had sets, we had blue screen. But our goal was to sort of make it look very natural while helping the cast look as, as great as they could. Uh, and so we were trying to, like, not get in the way of all the great writing and just have something that was easy on the eyes, looked very natural, didn't take you out of your out of your head while you were watching, just let you sort of forget you're watching something and enjoy a cinematic looking experience, even though it was a half hour comedy. I'm afraid that I have an aversion to the word sitcom because it gunges up um, absolutely terrible photography because when you light before cameras all shooting in different directions, then there's no way in a million years you can pretend that the light source is coming from a window. You know, with actors like Jane and Lily and Martin and Sam, 
um, they don't deserve to look like they're in a sitcom. They deserve to look like they're in a movie uh, because that's been their careers and um, uh, they need to be taken care of and they deserve the respect that iconic actors um, should get. You know, and um, Luke and I over the, um, you know, quite rapidly, in fact, um, developed a lighting system where we would um, basically um, create almost a photo studio um, for every shot. We surrounded everything with white muslin on the ground and on the walls and everywhere. So you basically put um, the actors inside a white umbrella. And in a way, I kind of started thinking that um, philosophically, this was rather odd because it suddenly you suddenly could imagine that the actor was actually the filament in the light. Both of you have already kind of touched on something that for for me, especially with BFX and the windows, talking about the windows, like I never really did feel that way. Only the only time where I was ever like, oh man, there is no way that this is real because no one's hair is blowing in the wind. But like whenever they would have brunch outside, I'm like, blue screen. But otherwise, you know, any of the interiors, I was always actually pretty wowed by the windows and continuity and just kind of wondering if any of that was practical or if those were all screens, but it was just so well shot. Thank you. That's very kind. All the windows along the sides of the house were practical. So we had some sort of very rudimentary painted backings and some day blue and some trees and fences and fans. And so everything you saw out of all of those windows and on the side of the kitchen was all on stage, either a backing or trees or whatever. And then the the beach berm itself was wrapped in a big blue screen. Our goal was to make it feel as natural as possible so you couldn't tell that we were on a stage. But we, we fought up to the inch sort of to, to fit enough light coming from the right angle, you know, um, getting the light right on the trees that were outside, uh, you know, having the right level of wind on, you know, like you were saying at a beach, the hair should be blowing and the, and that was always a, a, a balance of sort of, we want the hair to be blowing, we want, but we don't want to make everyone cold, but we want to be able to hear their lines but it's never not windy on a beach. Although there was one fun, fun time on, uh, we were shooting the wedding on the beach in season five. And uh, I remember during prep, that was one of the first episodes I shot. And I thought we better bring some pretty big fans because there's a, you know, a scripted line about the wind blows the hoopah over. And uh, everybody, everybody laughed at, kind of laughed at me and said, it's the beach. You don't, <laughs> you can't bring fans to the beach. It'll never be not windy. And it was a completely still day. <laughs> and, and so I looked at the effects guy and he's like, I, I, got, I got one fan with me, you know. <laughs> Steve did what he could, but that was all he had with him, you know. You know, it, it, it's a luxury getting to have the both of you here having been through the whole series. But, you know, we start early on unpacking just kind of the lives of the four main characters and then essentially two houses, the beach house, and then the house that, that Saul and Martin Sheen's character are going, going to share, but then come on all the way through to season seven. And then you even have the home that Brianna shares with her boyfriend. And then, you know, you have even more scenes starting to happen at say grace and just 
as how much of that are you guys getting to unpack and dig into when you're kind of designing the feel and the shots of those different locations? Because it absolutely is the way that it's translated to us, their own tastes and personalities coming through. Well, you know, when when those first subsequent sets started showing up, you know, then especially once, you know, Gail and I started alternating shooting, that gave uh, so much more time for considering those kind of things and prepping with the directors and, and working with Devra, the production designer. So when we, for instance, did uh, Barry and Brianna's house, you know, we had, uh, Gail suggested taping it out on a stage and everyone sort of walking around and, and feeling the space in real life, you know, after the drawings had been made and the design. And I think we ended up growing, uh, some dimensions and shrinking others and moving some stuff around just based on that, thinking about the photography and how, how, what angles would, could we get and where would, how, and also where would it fit on our existing stages? Um, you know, cause like say grace and Brianna and Barry's and Nick's apartment, those were all sets that were built, uh, over the years. In fact, uh, Barry and Brianna's was finished and shot for three days before we got shut down for COVID. It enabled us a lot of the time to, when we started alternating because we had more time um, to um, head um, problems off at the past, so to speak, because for example, um, you know, no matter what size stage you're in, if you have very tall windows and you end up with the widest shot near a window, you're gonna see off the um off the top of the blue screen or um you know you're gonna see the perms and so we were able to kind of um point out all of these likely um problems we would have which could be resolved by slightly changing the design of the set or maybe using a bit of frosted glass up there or you know just um little things like that there's a law called the inverse square law which means that if you have a light, um, say five feet from a window, um, every um, further five feet inside the set from that window, the light goes down to a quarter. You lose two stops for every time you double the distance between the light and the object. So that would mean that because you have no room to back the lights off because you're built right up against the studio walls, um, the light out the window and the light on the other side of the room was painfully different. And so it was always a huge um, amount of work to try and make this look natural. Well, I was going to ask, and, and Luke, forgive me, maybe you just have really good skincare. I know I do, but I actually got the chance uh, to touch film before that went away. And Gail, hearing you talk about you know, film being the the gold standard in the upper echelon. Um, you know, a lot of our colorists here talk about that, that they miss the days when cinematographers truly painted with light. And it sounds like it's been very important to the both of you. And so just kind of wondering, uh, you know, we've talked a little bit about what happens on set, but then how, you know, Gail, we'll start with you. And then Luke, I want to, I want to hear from you just kind of how it is for you when, and if you do get to sit with the colorist and, or if it's all the LUTs that you send in the beginning or how much time you get in post. I think the way in which the life of a DB has changed from my perspective is um, you have to make decisions 
on your feet as you're shooting. Uh, should I fix this in post or should I take five minutes? Because five minutes with a hundred people standing around is a very expensive five minutes, whereas five minutes with a colorist by yourself in a color suite is very inexpensive. And so I think that's really where um, you um, prove whether you're efficient or not is, is making those decisions as to whether this is something that you can fix in post very quickly. I mean, for example, a shadow on a wall because it's a bit distracting. You know, if, it, if, it, if it's going to take five minutes on set, don't do it. You know, if you can do it in post. I seriously do think it's only in the last three, three or four years at the most that um, we now have sensors that actually uh, rival film um, and in some ways exceed film because you instead of having to have a whole bunch of different film stocks of different speeds and so on and so forth, you can just flip some switches, at least I can't, but somebody else can, um, flip some switches and, you know, change your ISO, change your color balance and all of that kind of stuff. So I think um, digital kind of has come of age, but it's also, um, it's also abused. And I think just recently our union, Local 600, has started to try and implement uh, regulations about how brutal you can be to your um, camera operators in terms of them hand-holding cameras for like four hours because the, this, the chip never runs out. I mean, that sound of a thousand-foot magazine running out was a joy to a lot of people because it gave you a, a moment to catch your breath, you know? I, so, I don't think enough people have been able to uh, quantify that very thing in a lot of the discussions that the unions have been having. And, and that, yeah, I mean, film to digital and, you know, shot a million feet of film and then now you have camera mags and batteries that can go on and on and on and on and on. So, mm. did, yeah. you, did, um, did our dear editors have much to say about that? Because some people just let the camera run. They don't even want to switch the camera off, you know? Well, I was, I, I was actually going to ask you guys about that. And Luke, I am going to, I want to come back to you because I want to hear your experience in color. But um, so far as improv, you know, they said that there's tons and tons of like outtakes and whatnot, but that the team really across seven years has been so well oiled that, you know, they get it and it's done. And that's, they kind of got delivered a few takes here and there. Like Lily always wanted to do things a little bit different at times. And, you know, there was, there was space for that, but for the most part, you guys have always been, you've become and been for a long time, a well-oiled machine. Well, I think part of that is that because especially Gail's, you know, background and the cast sort of feature and long time experience, we sort of shot this show as if we were shooting film. And there's a couple of ways that we did that. One is that we blocked, we'd rehearse, we we tried not to shoot the rehearsal that much, you know, and we would do a take. And for the most part, we'd cut and then we'd fix what we needed to fix and then we'd go again. And sometimes we'd, you know, keep rolling and go again, but not like ad nauseum with 20 and 30 minute takes, you know, two in a row, you know, uh, June really likes doing two in a row. She gets her momentum going and then she nails it or, you know, she tries something different on both times or something. But um, we really treated it like film. And then Gail and I lit it as if it was film as well. I mean, we uh, 
we were working at 400 ISO, which is kind of a lot slower than most a lot of shows do with digital these days. We didn't have a DIT on set, so we just lit to all seven seasons. All seven seasons, no DIT. Uh, wow. We just we lit to you know we used an, a, a false color monitor that we both liked for uh, exposure, and we lit to eye into that false color monitor, and really didn't fuss with things on set. And then um, when we got into the coloring suite, it only took about two hours per to go through an episode with the colorist Roy because he was he knew the show so well, he would sort of rough it in because he knew what we were doing. And then we'd spend those two hours sort of just making tiny tweaks or like Gail said, fixing a shadow on the wall or a bright foreground shoulder. Um, we weren't really doing or, or maybe like trying to bring some color back into a bright sky. Uh, because it's it's not um, all that difficult. Say um, when we if you if you're just slightly rich on the exposure and you're capturing all the shadow detail you can. For example, there might be a moment where somebody like Bud, who's African-American, he would come in through a door and he's the furthest one from the light. And naturally he looks much darker than the human eye would perceive him. So then you can just put a little window on him, having got the detail, having got the information, and um, just bring him up a, a tiny bit, and um, or vice versa with um, St. Jane in foreground sitting near the patio doors where she'd be over bright, and um, you know, just stuff like that that gives you much more control. I do want to ask before I let you go, um, of course, I would love to hear your favorite moment from the series, but also especially, you know, what for you, was the big takeaway and um, scene in season seven that that meant the most for you? It's probably fairly obvious for me. It's the the season finale when Dolly Dolly shows up. Um, you know, it's um, it was a, a really wonderful scene to be asked to shoot, and um, and of course um, I stole from the best. I stole the whole idea from Stanley Kubrick's two thousand and one. And, um, you know, I don't know if you remember the white room, you know, so we elevated platforms and lit everything from underneath and let it run away into infinity with white sights behind. I mean, I, I actually, I asked the editors, I was like, you got to tell me everything. Was that, was that a Kubrick reference? Was that VFX? How did they, was it a set extension? And they were like, you're going to have to ask the DPs. <laughs> <laughs> Like from the top of the chair, I saw the hair and I started screaming and I was like, they're giving us Dolly. Like it was just so well done. It was so exciting. Luke, give me what you got. Give me all of that. Yeah. So, I mean, Gail hit the nail on the head with the, you know, just working with such a, an incredible cast. Like every single one of them was just kind and gracious and so good at their craft. Uh, you know, and not just the top four, you know, every single person, you could tell the writers would sort of bring someone in for a, a guest part, but they'd get really good people. And then they would just hit it out of the park. And they'd be like, oh, we got to we got to bring Millicent back or, you know, we got to hang on to Peter Gallagher and keep him around, you know, and those sort of parts. And everybody that came in was just happy to be there doing wonderful work. You know, the writing was good. So they're just telling great jokes. 
and good perform, you know, and also there's a lot of dramatic stuff and hard to deal with topics. So like just all around the, the, it was really the best workplace I've ever had, you know, just a joy to be involved in, in with, with so many, you know, talented people doing stuff at the top of their game. So that was really like, like Gail said, that's the takeaway really. But uh, as far as like a favorite scene, um, you know, I, I really felt like the, the last episode I shot was, uh, the second to last episode, the fake funeral. And, um, the whole, the whole series I, I had, as Gail said, made it my day's goal to make it look like Gail shot everything that I did so that the show looked the same, was consistent. And I felt like I got pretty good at that and slowly began to take little liberties of putting my own touch without, you know, as Gail said, coming in and like putting a big stamp. Um, but the second to last episode, the fake funeral, um, the director was Alex Hardcastle, and I'd I'd done a couple of episodes with him prior, and we really got along well, and I really liked the cl- calibra- uh, collaboration with him. You know, he had great ideas, but he also inspired good ideas, and he and I would never have the same idea, but somehow we'd both come up with something, and then whatever we'd land on may or may not be what either of us said, but it would be better than what either of us said, and I. I really enjoyed that. And so on that, on that, on that episode, I mentally took the, you know, shackles off and really just tried to push things as far as I could within the world of Grace and Frankie. And, um, I really, uh, loved the scene with Frankie painting at the end of that episode in her art studio, even though it's just a simple scene, there's no, uh, dialogue. Um, but it was one of my favorites to shoot as well as in that same episode, there's a karaoke bar, which was really like a fun thing to shoot. It was kind of outside of our normal uh, beach house feel, but you know, it still needed to be in the same world. Um, So that really, that whole episode was kind of my favorite one to shoot. It was just sort of like, I felt like, well, I I can't go wrong. We're, we're done. Like it's over. Let's, let's see how far we can push it without changing the show, so to speak. And I, I think we, I'm really proud of that episode. Season seven did go extra, several extra miles though. Even the casino episode. I mean, (laughs) that that felt so wild because you could see, you know, there was, there was proximity, but you know, you're bouncing back and forth and it all started with like a horse costume. Yeah. And there was a karaoke bar and it just, it was, it was several extra miles and it was just very appreciated as, as the lead up to saying goodbye. I'm glad you liked that casino episode. Uh, we were originally going to shoot in a casino um, and it was sort of like, you know, all the wheels were moving and everything was going towards that. And then it was sort of like, wait, we can't close this casino. Uh, it was during COVID, you know, so we can't deal with the masks in the background. What are we going to do? And we ended up building that casino. This, uh, you know, art director and production designer brought all that stuff into a space and made it into a casino and then we you know lit it to kind of try to make it not feel like a dance hall and um and that was uh that I, I was so happy with how that turned out it just I feel like it felt like a casino would be in Grace and Frankie's world even though it was you know a dance hall any any kind of departing thoughts comments or anything of that nature I'm just so grateful that you guys 
gave me so much of your time today. Yeah, just, you know, thanks for having us on. And I, I it, was, it was a pleasure. To, it's always a pleasure to talk about this show. Because like I said, it was just such a big part of my life. It was, you know, eight years of growth. And, you know, I was became a dad during the show. And I think 30 other people did as well. It was like, it became like a family. And uh, I definitely miss miss working with all the people that, that we made the show together with. I think there was just a lot of really great people that came together, delivered a wonderful show. And, um, you know, all due to the great writing and the great cast that, you know, you put those two things together and you can't help but enjoy it. So it's just really a, a pleasure to do the whole time. Well, thank you both so much. And I look forward to having you back. Awesome. Thank you so much. Mm, fantastic. Thank yeah, thanks you. for having us today. Absolutely. Have a good rest of your week and look forward to seeing you next time.